Okay. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to campus. Uh, and I hope that all of you had a good break. Uh, so I am looking forward to speaking in this chapel series on the image of God, even though, like Nality, I don't, uh, yeah, it's particularly, I let, just, just say I much prefer to teach than, than to preach, much like Nality. Um, so, <clears throat> I have been looking forward to this chapel series because this topic has been something that is on my mind. But before I go into uh, sharing on this topic of Christian singleness, I just want to uh, have a, give a quick introduction about myself and my family, especially for those who have not taken my class. So, this is my family. Uh, I have two young daughters. And then I have a, and my youngest, it's uh, just turned one, uh, and she's uh, quite cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I was saying, this morning, I'm speaking on the topic of Christian singleness. And now, you might be wondering, why in the world is a married person speaking on the topic of singleness? Yes, I do recognize the irony uh, of the situation. Um, right, but so why am I speaking on this topic? Well, the reason, like I said, is that this topic has been on my heart for some time. And, and it started when I was doing my schooling. I rented a lot of rooms from older single uh, men. They, they have been single for um, their whole life, and they're now in the later stages, uh, stage of their lives. And I personally witnessed the struggles um, that they have been through, and it sparked me to kind of reflect uh, about the life of singleness um, and what that means to be single as a Christian. Yeah, so, and as I reflected upon this topic over many years, um, I wish that some of the things that I have learned in this journey is, are things that I knew when I was your age, when I was in your position in college. So I am sharing uh, this from the, uh, from the angle of desiring for you to be better prepared as you enter into this stage of life, this confusing stage of life known as young adulthood, um, yeah, that you would be better prepared than I was when I was at your age, right, so, and in your position. So this is where I am coming from. So, now, speaking of college life and young adulthood, uh, I was told by some senior students that there is a yearly phenomenon on Prairie known as freshman frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> and it is when romance star freshmen plunge with abandonment into this pool of romance and trying to grab the biggest fish they can get, <laughs> sometimes grabbing two or three in the process. <laughs> Something like this. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is supposed to be a GIF that has the dogs moving, but I'm not sure why it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, but this morning, before you plunge into this frenzy with abandonment, uh, I would like to take a moment this morning to ask ourselves, have we seriously considered the option of singleness for the Lord? 
and, uh, and does the option of singleness for the Lord even register on our radar? If not, why not? You know, Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. And what exactly does the Bible say about Christian singleness anyway? Right, so let's take a, uh, for the next 30 minutes or so to dive into this often neglected topic in the church today. Now, why is it that the option of singleness for the Lord is not even an option on, most of, uh, on the radar for most young Christians in the church today? And one of the important reasons is that the, church, the contemporary church in North America is typically extremely pro-family and pro-marriage. Now, so um, you often hear sermons in churches saying things like this, uh, Mel, um, that it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Um, so this is God's design, right? So for human beings, so let's get married. Now, what is the reverse implication of this message? Well, the reverse implication is, well, if you are not married, then you are alone. And you are not in a good position. Um, and you are, in some sense, incomplete without a soulmate. So this pro-marriage stance is taken to uh, the point where there are organizations like Focus on the Family that has an entire ministry called Boundless that is dedicated purely to encouraging young people to get married, uh, like this on the uh, website that it why it's not good for men to be alone? Uh, yeah, you should go get married. That's their central message. It's not good for a young person to be alone, so go get married, learn to take some res responsibility and grow up. In addition, there are also numerous Christian dating relationship books that are like this. Uh, when God writes your love story, God is a matchmaker. Lady in waiting, becoming God's best, for, uh, God's best while waiting for Mr. Right. <laughs> so, take a moment to think about this. What is the flip side of this message that we hear so frequently? The flip side of the message is that singles are doomed to unhealthy, lonely, unhappy lives. And that somehow the spiritual lives of singles are, in some sense, immature and superficial because they have not been refined by the self-sacrificial love of marriage. <clears throat> um, so, and what about this entire genre of books here? When God loves, writes your love story. Oh, this sounds so sweet and romantic. <gasps> Well, it's, it may sound sweet and romantic when you are 19 or 20, but when you are in your 40s and beyond and still single, it just becomes a cruel joke. You're in your 40s and 50s and you, are, and you are thinking, man, this love story is turning out to be really short. So God, can you please hurry up and finish writing it? So in light of the prone uh, marriage stance of the modern church and its messaging, and when you combine that with the very real pain of loneliness, then and what any sane human being would conclude is that singleness is a curse. And indeed, many, for many Christians included, uh, the life of singleness feels like a death sentence. Right? It's a fate that's, that is worse than death. 
And this is precisely the inner turmoil that many gay Christians feel. So if I am a gay Christian and you tell me that the only option that I have as a gay Christian is a life of singleness and celibacy for the rest of my life, and that feels like a death sentence. That feels like a that you're condemning me to a life of loneliness for the rest of my existence here. <clears throat> but the question is, are the popular messages we are hearing from certain segments of the church, from Focus on the Family, from numerous popular uh, books and uh, popular speakers, are they true? Is it true that it is not good for men or women to be alone and unmarried? Are we outside of God's plan? Are we outside of God's plan and design for human beings when we are single? Well, the biblical answer is not a straightforward yes or no. Uh, it is more nuanced and complex than what is often popularly pre uh, presented. So let us start off with the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about marriage? Well, right, the idea of marriage is, of course, grounded in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we see that marriage is, of course, instituted by God. And marriage is closely associated with the idea of God's blessing. Right, Genesis 1, 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. So, what does it mean for God to bless? So, it was remarked by the Old Testament scholar, Mark Futato, that uh, blessings in Genesis is essentially empowerment for abundant living. Empowerment for abundant living. Now, this blessing is manifested in two main ways. Number one is the ability to have children. Uh, that's very prominent in, uh, in the book of Genesis. And number two is the ability to generate wealth. Again, and another uh, pr uh, prominent theme in the book of Genesis. Uh, of uh, Genesis. <clears throat> um, so this idea of blessing is often tied to having children, having a family, being able to have children. And this conception of blessing is foundational to the rest of the Old Testament. And we see that in Deuteronomy 7, where if you obey, then you will be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and there will be no sterile male or female among you. Uh, again, in Psalms 1 to 7, children are like uh, a blessing from God. So, it blesses the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, the reverse of this uh, is that barrenness is sometimes seen as a curse from God, the inability to have children. So, you see in uh, Leviticus 20, uh, sinning against God, uh, the is, God's judgment on sin is that they will die childless. Uh, they cannot conceive. And this is a sign of God's judgment. So for all the above reasons, marriage in the Old Testament is portrayed as the norm and the expectation. Because the idea is that, hey, God has commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, um, and, that, and it's seen as a great blessing. So why would you not be married? Right, so the norm and the expectation in the Old Testament is that you get married. <clears throat> now, that is the Old Testament reality. Now, when we come to the New Testament reality, we start to see some kind of profound change. And this transformation uh, or change is seen clearly in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, uh, chapter, uh, verse 28 to 35. So, Paul 
here is responding to the questions asked by the Corinthian church regarding marriage, whether they should get married or not. And this is what he says. Uh, lengthy passage, but it's important. So I'll just try to read um, some of the selected verses in this long passage. So, um, so Paul says, Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I am myself, but each has his own gift from God and one of one kind and one of an, an another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, verse 27. Are you bounded to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles. I would spare you death. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will... Oh, sorry. I'm going. Yeah, so... Uh, so he who uh, marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bounded to a husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to uh, marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Wow. So take a moment to contrast what Paul is saying here with the popular messages that we hear, that being single does, doesn't mean no one wants you. It means God is busy writing your love story. But does that gel with what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7? So what is going on here? Right? So why is Paul uh, going against the grain of the Old Testament outlook? Has God changed his mind? Is it now good for men or women to be alone? Well, to understand where Paul is coming from, we have to zoom into one key passage in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, and that's verse 28 here. In this passage, Paul says, the appointed time has grown very short, and the present form of this world is passing away. So, Paul is advising the Corinthian Christians to remain single because the present form of this world is passing away. Now, this is an important point because in Paul's mind, human history is divided into two main ages. Human history in Paul's mind is divided into two main ages. There is what is called this age, this, the present form of this world. Uh, which is the one at the bottom, this age. And this age will come to an end when Christ returns. But there's also a new age called the age to come, which is inaugurated by the resurrection of Christ. When Christ was raised from the dead, He inaugurates the, the age to come, the new age that will last into eternity forever. And it will be fully realized when Jesus returns again. 
Now, so strictly speaking, for Paul, marriage belongs to the present form of this world that is passing away, <clears throat> rather than the new age that Christ has inaugurated. Why is this so? Why does marriage belong to this present age rather than the new age? Well, this is because Jesus says in Matthew 22, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given to marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Now, in the Old Testament paradigm, resurrection belongs firmly to the age to come, right? Resurrection only happens at the end of history, at, at the end of human uh, history. So, resurrection belongs to the age to come. So, but Jesus said that at the resurrection, in the age to come, there will be no marriage. Marriage will be dissolved in the age to come. Now, the question is, has the resurrection occurred? Has the resurrection occurred? And the answer is yes, because Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And this is why Christians live in the new age, because the new age has arrived with the resurrection of Christ. Right? And because the resurrection has arrived in Jesus and His re resurrection, we have access to the resurrection life of Christ. And part of the resurrection life of Christ is Christian singleness. Why? Because at the resurrection, there will be no more marriages. Marriage will be dissolved uh, at the resurrection. <clears throat> so, um, what we see here going on in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, is that Paul sees the old age as ending very soon. And the new age is already here. We are at the dawn of the new age with the resurrection of Christ. And the New Testament perspective is that marriage is the way of the old age, the way of the old creation paradigm, where it is not good for man to be alone. But the life of Christian singleness is the way of the new age going forward. Marriage is the way of the old age. Christian singleness is the way of the new age going forward. And in the old age, marriage is the norm for most people because God says it's not good for men to be alone and therefore. And there is also the command from God to be fruitful and multiply. But things are different in the new age. Like we have seen, there are no marriages in the new age. And the reason is that marriage and the traditional family in the new age is actually superseded by something even more glorious than marriage. And that is Christ and the church. The family of believers in Christ has superseded the traditional family. The Christ and the church has superseded marriage in the new age. And this is why marriage can ultimately be dissolved. It can be dissolved because it's superseded by something far more glorious than the traditional uh, marriage. Now, <clears throat> so this is why Christian singleness is the norm in the new age. Christian singleness is the norm in the new age. 
Now, but does this mean one is not allowed to get married? No. Paul says, Paul recognizes that Christians live in the in-between. Christians live in the in-between. The new age is here, but the old age hasn't completely passed away either. So although the present form of this world is passing away, it has not completely passed away. And the converse is also true. The new age has arrived, but it's not fully here. It's only fully here with uh, the return of Christ. But nevertheless, there is a sense in which Christian singleness is still the better option. 1 Corinthians 7.38 So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, why is Christian singleness a better option? Why did Paul say it's a better option? Well, it's, it's better not because singleness is somehow inherently better or more valuable. It's not better because somehow, it's, it's, it's not because if you get married, then you are less spiritual or you are relegated to the status of second-class Christians in the eyes of God. No, it is not that. It's not better because it's inherently better. It's not that. It is better because it has some practical advantages over married life. It's, it is better in the practical sense. Now, so uh, what are the practical advantages? Paul says in verse 28 and 32, that you are spared from worldly troubles and anxiety. Verse 35, you are able to have undivided focus, attention, and devotion to God. And these practical advantages are especially significant in this period of salvation history known as the last days. So this is why Paul emphasizes that the appointed time has become very short because we, with the resurrection of Christ, the last days has begun. We are all living in the last days and the appointed time has grown very short. Christ is returning very soon. So in light of that, there is still so much left to be done. And existing in the last days means that we have to squeeze and maximize every inch of advantage that we have. And this means that a life of singleness is especially important in the last days because of these practical advantages. And the last days ramps up the urgency for us to maximize and squeeze out every inch of practical advantage that, uh, that we can have. And so this is why Paul can say, oops, sorry, uh, <laughs> the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they are none. Those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. Because uh, we are in the last days. And we need to squeeze out every inch of practical advantage that is available to us. <clears throat> now, um, at this point, um, it is perhaps uh, important to clarify what exactly is Christian singleness and what it is not, and if it's actually a gift from God. So is singleness for the Christian really a gift from God? Just a show of hands, who among us would love the gift of singleness for the rest of your life? Oh, okay. But, uh, just a few, but in general, not much take-takers. Uh, well, if, if you are given this gift, most of us would prefer a gift exchange, a <laughs> refund of some sort. Now, why is this so? 
why is it that we, are, we don't have many takers when God is giving out this gift? Because long-term unwanted singleness is often experienced as a curse rather than a blessing. And the great curse of singleness is overwhelming loneliness. So it's said by the uh, Christian uh, psychologist, Julie uh, Slattery, that loneliness is perhaps the deepest ache our souls can experience. The grief of losing a loved one, the fear of abandonment, and the stink of rejection that love all tap into the same bedrock fear. I am alone. So is singleness really a gift or is it a curse? Well, it depends. It may be a gift or it may be a curse. It depends if you are practicing Christian singleness or you are merely a Christian that just happens to be single. And there is an important difference between these two. Now, for, for example, if you are a Christian and single and spends most of your time uh, playing your Xbox in your, in your basement, then you are not practicing Christian singleness. You are just a Christian that happens to be single and happens to have no life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, <laughs> that's all you are. You are not practicing Christian singleness. So for such a person, singleness is surely a curse. Because such, for such a per per person, it's just a matter of time before you experience overwhelming loneliness. Now, so what exactly is Christian singleness and how is it different from being a Christian that just happens to be single? Well, I have a simple definition for Christian singleness or celibacy here. Christian singleness is singleness for Christ, i.e. for the purpose of single-minded or undivided devotion to Christ by the power of Christ within the relational nexus of the family of Christ. Now, the last point about being within the relational nexus of the family of Christ is particularly important because we all need to be in a family to overcome the curse of loneliness. The curse of loneliness can only be overcome by being in a family. And this is why marriage and family is the norm in the Old Testament. Because in the old age, prior to the resurrection, the only refuge that one has against overwhelming loneliness is the family, the traditional family. But... The Christian good news is that with the coming of Christ and the new age, that landscape has radically changed. It has radically changed because there is now a new way of creating family through Jesus and the Holy, Holy Spirit. And this, uh, with the coming of Jesus, you do not need to get married to create family. Because in Jesus, there's a new way of creating family through the gospel. And what is more, the spiritual bonds within the members in this new family is stronger than that of the natural biological blood ties of the traditional family. Amen. 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 <laughs> so, for example, me and my dad, right? So, my, my dad is not a Christian, uh, but he's a good dad in, in many ways. He's responsible, you know, he loves his family, he provides for them. But nevertheless, I don't experience that kind of spiritual kinship with my dad in virtue of the fact that he's, he's not a Christian. There are a lot of things about me that my dad doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why I would drag my family halfway across the, the world to come to Canada to take up a job in the middle of no, nowhere. Uh, <laughs> he, he doesn't understand that because, yeah, he doesn't understand where I'm coming from. In con you contrast that with my family in Christ, right? I've known uh, Richie for only about a year and a half, but I've experienced a spiritual kinship with him in a way I don't experience with my own 
biological death. <laughs> and this is how tight me and Richie are. Oops. <laughs> now, <laughs> we are body cops. <laughs> now, other, other than Richie and I, there's also the example of Timothy and Paul, Paul and Timothy in, in, in the Bible. Paul was single, but Paul calls Timothy his true son in the faith. And there's a sense in which the bond between Paul and Timothy is stronger than that even between um, Timothy and his natural father. So we see that in the gospel, there's a new way of creating family that surpasses and supersedes even that of the traditional family. And there is one person that embodies the glory of this new way of creating family, uh, and that is the great missionary to India, Amy Carmichael. So Amy Carmichael was uh, Irish. She was born in Ireland. She suffered from a disease of the nerves that made her whole body weak and achy. But she was, uh, she was also single her entire life. Now, despite her physical frailty, she had a desire to be a missionary and eventually spent 50 years in India. Now, while in India, she encountered hundreds of orphan and unwanted children. And many of times, these children will be forced into temple prostitution against their will. So Amy was like deeply moved by the plight of these children, so, um, of these unwanted children. And she began taking these children to care, and she shared the gospel with them, she shared her life with them, provided for their needs, educated them so that they can break out of this poverty, cycle of poverty. And over the 50 years she spent in India, Amy Carmichael took in over a thousand unwanted children. And she eventually became a mother for them. And they in turn call her Amma, meaning mother in Tamil. And to the right-hand side, this is the grave mark marker of Amy Carmichael with the words Amai inscripted on it. And Amai means revered mother. So how in the world did an unmarried single European woman from Ireland become the revered mother of thousands of motherless children all the way in India? The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the mind-bending and mind-boggling wisdom of God that overturns all our traditional conception of marriage and family. And it opens up a new and glorious way of creating family that surpasses and supersedes even that of the traditional family, even the best of the traditional family. So Christ and His church is good news for us because in Him and His church, we can begin to experience life in the family of God that vastly surpasses that of the traditional family. And for a gay Christian, Christ and the church is good news because being a celibate Christian for the sake of Christ does not mean a life of overwhelming loneliness. And for a Christian who is unable to have children 
or unable to find a marriage partner. The gospel, Christ and His church is good news because like Amy Carmichael and the Apostle Paul, through the gospel, you can become more mother than any traditional mother. You can become more father than any traditional father. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ and His church. But the problem is that the uh, mindset of the contemporary church in North America is often stuck in the paradigm of the old age, and we have not moved to the radical new reality and vision of the New Testament. And because we have not caught up to the reality of the dawn of the new age in Christ and the glory of this new way of creating family through the gospel, we are, we are so um, family. We are so focused on the traditional family. We have not moved to this radical new vision and reality of the New Testament. So what this means for many of us here this morning is that we need to at least seriously consider and pray about the option of Christian singleness, right? And whatever we end up choosing, we need to realize that by opting for one kind of life, we are also implicitly saying no to the other kind. So what do I mean? So when I've chosen the life of marriage, I have also implicitly said no to living the life of the kind of life that Amy Carmichael did. Why? Because the practical reality is if I choose to get married, then I cannot just drop everything I have and go to India and live the life that Amy Carmichael did. So by choosing marriage, I've also implicitly uh, chosen not to live the kind of life that Amy Carmichael lived. Live. And that is fine. Paul said, uh, Paul said that that is fine. That option is legitimate. It's open to you. If you want that option, it is op open to you. You have not sinned. But at the, at the uh, same time, I think we need to at least uh, seriously pray and consider that the, the idea that the kind of life of Christian singleness that Amy Carmichael lived is worth pursuing and is worth saying no to the traditional family and marriage. So, yep, uh, it's a cue for me to... Uh, end off with a word of prayer. <laughs> okay, let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ and the church, which we are all a part of. Thank you that Christ and the church has made the life and practice of Christian singleness possible. We pray that regardless of where we are in life, whether we are married, single, gay, barren, divorced, or remarried, Father, we pray that you will help us to grow into this new radical reality of Christ and the church and the new age that Christ has brought about. Thank you that no matter where we are in life, in Christ and His church, we will always have an unbreakable family that shares in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, and one God and Father of all. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.